Well, thank you for inviting me to come here. And as a matter of fact, this hall means something to me because at the age of, I think, 22 or 23, I received the sacrament of the Holy Spirit here, the sacrament of confirmation from Archbishop Amigo himself. So, uh, in those days, uh, I didn't understand very much about the Holy Spirit. Well, things have happened since those days, haven't they? And I'm going to talk on the subject of prayer. And obviously, I'm going to have to be fairly brief. So I shan't be able to teach, talk on every aspect of prayer. For instance, I'm not going to take, say anything about you know, prayer to Our Lady and the Saints, although I consider that very important for a Catholic. I do consider every Catholic should have a real and deep devotion to Our Lady, and I'm very interested in these in apparitions which are going on in, in Yugoslavia at the moment. But uh, that's not the subject for today. For Jesus prayed the first thing we note. He was a devout Jew. He would have prayed the Psalms, as the Jews prayed the Psalms a great deal. And we read in the New Testament sometimes he went up in the hills to pray, prayed all night. Jesus not only prayed himself, but he taught his disciples to pray. We read in Luke 18, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Always to pray and that's the Revised Standard Version. The Jerusalem Bible says pray continuously. We shall come back on that later. And Jesus gave his disciples the Our Father as the model for all Christian prayer. And indeed, it's always good to sort of compare our life, prayer life of prayer, check up on our life of prayer with the Our Father. Now, there are different levels of prayer. And obviously, as Catholics, at the centre of our life of prayer is or should be the Mass, the Eucharist. And that is, you know, absolutely, that contains all the other elements of prayer, in a way. And uh, I think it's a great blessing to get to daily Mass when one can. And daily Mass has for many years been the centre of my own life of prayer. I never received communion until I was about 22. I'm a convert. And thank God I think I've received communion nearly every day since then which is a great blessing and celebrated and, uh, well, one could, one could go on about what that means to me, but that's not the subject of today's talk particularly. I don't want to develop that. But you've got uh, the level of the Mass, which is at the centre of the other liturgical prayer, the Divine Office, and the increasing number of Catholics seem to be finding it helpful to say morning prayer or evening prayer or both, or in some cases, even the whole Divine Office. And the Divine Office has, has this great advantage that it tends to stress praise. But I'm not going to develop that subject today. So there's the level of the liturgy. Then there's that other level of informal prayer of Christians together. And here I'm going to read a text which seems particularly appropriate in connection with this kind of prayer. And this is from Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And that is a text which has often been applied, hasn't it, to our prayer groups. And, you know, Jesus is present in a special way when we're gathered together in his name to pray. And uh, thank God for this growth in the prayer group movement. Thank God for the 
the number of Christians who are being helped. And thank God, you know, that many of us can go weekly to our prayer groups and notice how they are strengthening and upholding and building up our life of prayer. And in connection with this sort of prayer, of course, there's also praying in the family. And I'm sure that's something which needs to be encouraged a great deal. You know, it's quite extraordinary how often you'll get praying husbands and wives, I mean, people who, with really real lives of prayer, who never pray together. You know, they both they say their own prayers, perhaps even at the same time in different rooms, perhaps even in the same room, but <laughs> saying the Our Father together is out, let alone a bit more than that. And how ridiculous when Johnny, their son, is ill, that they both pray for Johnny silently, but they never say, Lord, together. They never say together, Lord, heal Johnny, and lay their hands on Johnny. But I'm sure we want to encourage prayer in families and in homes and among friends in that way. Isn't it, isn't it a good thing? I think the younger generation often better than some of us who are older, you know, when a few Christians meet together, you know, they say, well, let's pray. And they just pray, whether it's on the bus or, <laughs> or, or wherever. And then there's the other level of prayer, and this is the one I particularly want to talk about today, and that is sort of personal prayer alone with the Lord. <coughs> and I'm going to read here from Matthew chapter 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The importance of being alone with the Lord in prayer each day. And I think it's because this aspect of prayer is so often missing among Christians, among Christians who come to prayer groups, that we don't see further progress. You know, people have talked about the revolving door syndrome in our prayer groups, haven't they? People come to the prayer groups for a time, they receive some sort of blessing, and then gradually they fade away. And so does most, most of the blessing. Well, they're probably, you know, they will have gain from having gone, it's not all wasted. But in most cases, it's a pity that they do, went away and uh, their prayer life tends to go down when they do go away. And what is the reason for that? Well, I think perhaps the main reason often is that they don't spend enough time daily in prayer. Fruitful participation in the prayer meeting supposes, presupposes that one spends enough time with the Lord alone every day in prayer. And being in the prayer group is no substitute for that. The second prayer group is no substitute for that. We need that time alone with the Lord daily in prayer. Now, Jesus said, well, pray continuously. By that, he didn't mean say prayers all the time. I'll just develop this a bit. Pray continuously. Well, how are we to pray continuously? Well, I think you see this fulfilled often in the lives of the saints when they arrive at a really sort of mature contemplative state. Somebody like St. Teresa of Avila, you know, was just aware of the living presence of Jesus at her side all the time, even in the midst of the most sort of material activity of doing accounts or doing, discussing business affairs with people. She was aware of the presence of, the, of Jesus with her. So in that sense, and it's so moving into, it's as we move towards that sort of contemplative dimension that we can near, I think, to fulfilling the command to pray continuously. A thing which can help us on the way often is these arrow prayers. You're in the midst of a job, in the midst of work, while you're waiting for the coffee to come, while you're, all these odd moments, you can just 
send up these arrow prayers to God. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help that person. You see somebody you may need at the opposite side of the road, Jesus bless that person. I mean, so I'm sure that's a great thing. We ought to, you know, our life needs to be shot through with arrow prayers often. Just these sort of SOSs to the Lord, or, or thank you, Jesus, or bless you, Jesus. Um, I'm sure we need that. And of course, I mean, it's very good to pray. You know, some people, women tell me they pray when they do the ironing. Well, I don't know how to iron, but you know. Uh, whatever it is. I mean, obviously it's very good to pray in the midst of the housework or the ironing or whatever. But having said that, most people will not go very far towards praying continuously unless they put enough time aside for praying only, only praying. You see, if you say, well, I'll pray while I'm doing other things, well, then we don't tend not, if we just only do that, we don't tend to do much time when we're doing our praying when we're doing other things. We seem to need, we need those periods of prayer put aside daily when we only pray and which we don't drop unless there's a real serious reason for doing so. And I think it's the failure to be disciplined in prayer like this which accounts for the lack of progress in the spiritual life of many people who come to our prayer groups and indeed other Christians elsewhere. And I think there's a very important challenge here, and I really feel a burden about this challenge. You know, I think we need to be challenged and strongly. And when I say we, I mean myself included. Now, when, what are we going to do about this time of prayer? I mean, different people will find it right to put aside different times in the day, but surely we should all start the day with prayer and end the day with prayer. I think we all feel that. And, is right, and, but some people will put their main period in the morning, some people will put it in the night, uh, evening before they go to bed, other people will do it perhaps in the afternoon or, or when they're free. You know, that will vary from person to person according to temperaments. But nevertheless, nevertheless, we do need to have some regular daily framework of prayer which we don't drop unless there's a serious reason for doing so. Now, how long should that be? Well, it's not for me to dictate what other people should do here. And people are in very difficult, different circumstances. But I think most of us sadly underestimate, in a, uh, heavily underestimate, the amount of time we ought to be spending in daily prayer. Uh, Dealey Smith goes around saying, an hour a day plus daily mass. And I think she's right. That's a general thing. We know not everybody can do this. You know, I know a practicing medical doctor who normally spends four hours a day in prayer. And I think that if most of us had got our priorities right, we would be spending far more time in prayer than we do. And you see, I think this is absolutely key to the whole development of our spiritual life. I really feel this very strongly, this whole thing. I think we're falling down. You see, we're living in a world in which the atmosphere is increasingly unchristian. And, you know, the values which are coming to us all the day through the media, through the advertisements, through the conversation of other people, through the atmosphere at work, through the atmosphere in the shop and so on, you know, it's the values of the world which are coming to us, not the values of the gospel. That's coming to us all the time, whether you like it or not. And, you see, if we're not to just be overwhelmed by this, we need sufficient time to let the values of the gospel get through. 
And if we're only spending 10 minutes a day in prayer, well, you know, what chance has God got in 10 minutes against the rest of the day? And that's why I think the prayer life of so many of us is so superficial. It's simply not serious, you know. We've got a very high theology of prayer. I mean, the New Testament, praying continuously, the whole tr tradition of Christianity, the importance of prayer, the centrality of prayer. And we all say, yes, yes, we agree with that. And having said that, we, some people think it's all right just to devote 10 minutes a day to it. It doesn't add up. If prayer really is what we say we believe it is, then we'll give it that priority in time and energy. You know, ma you know imagine a man who says to his wife, yes, you're the dearest creature in my life, and then spends half an hour a month speaking to her. Doesn't add up. And we say, yes, Jesus, you come first, you're everything, and Jesus, I'll give you 10 minutes. It simply doesn't add up. And that's where so many of us fall down. Now ask yourself, how much time do I spend in an average week looking at television, or the listening to the radio, and I'm not against looking at any television or, or uh, reading things like the newspapers or things like the newspapers, how much time do I spend in the week doing that, as opposed to reading the Bible and praying? And you know, that's an embarrassing question for quite a number of priests and religious, let alone lay people. Have we got our priorities right? Very often not. And that's why we don't make more progress in our spiritual life, and that's why a great many people come for a time to prayer groups and then gradually sort of begin to dwindle off. And maybe for those of us who are leaders in prayer groups, it's in part our responsibility because we have not faced people with the demands of the gospel about prayer. It's often our fault. Now I think we not only need enough time for daily prayer, but I think we sometimes need those longer periods of prayer, longer than you can get in the daytime, in one, you know, each day. And I think we should, some of us should be putting in our diaries, Saturday afternoon, 2.30 till 5.30, prayer. And if somebody says, are you free? You say, no. Because, you know, I had, a, I had a very fortunate experience last summer. I went to a monastery of ours in America where they had a course of spiritual directors, a monastery at Pecos, where all the men's community and the women, they were all involved in the charismatic renewal. And thank God it was a wonderful experience. But the thing which was a great blessing for me there, in that we had lectures in the morning and one lecture in the evening. And I spent most afternoons just in prayer, so I could get in two or three hours prayer most afternoons. And I was realizing from experience how two hours is more than twice one. And three hours is much more than three times one hour in prayer. You know, St. Francis of Assisi said that it often took him one hour to get through to God in prayer. So do you think you can get through in 20 minutes? And it's, you know, it sometimes takes, you see, quite a long time for the anxieties of the world, the worries of the world, the atmosphere of the world, just the fatigue of the world to go off. You know, be still and know that I am God, the psalmist says. But we may need to be still for three hours before we really get through. Or, or we may find, as, as we do, we get through much further. Now people will say to me, and don't I understand this, because I say it to myself, but Wes, if you don't Benedict, it's all right for these monks to talk like that, but I mean, if he knew the pressures on time and energy, 
he knew what it was like to have my job and the family and then I'm involved in the prayer group meeting and then people ring up for this and people ring up for that and after all if nobody had organized today none of us would be here you know I know all this but you see what I think we have to dare to do is to give the priority to God in prayer and trust God to look after the activity now I know there are emergencies which are exceptions but for most of us the exceptions become the rule to be frank haven't it and you see so I think we need to dare to leave all those letters unanswered your room in a mess mine often is you know, those people not visited those telephone calls not made those books not read and go and pray with the Lord for a couple of hours and just hand over in prayer all the letters and everything else and trust God to look after them and you know when we dare it's an act of faith to give the priority to prayer in that way we shall find a that our activity gains far more in quality than it loses in quantity because you see when there's not much prayer our activity becomes just too human when, the, when there really is that prayer backing the spirit is in our activity much more so not only will our activity gain far more in quality than it gains in, than it loses in quantity but in fact it will not lose in quantity because it will be so much more spirit led and we should be led, led up so many, so many less blind alleys and immense, many of us our activity for much of the time is a bit like the dog chasing its tail isn't it if we're honest you see and if there's really some more prayer backing then our, our activity will be more spirit led and more fruitful so this is really the most important thing I want to say today I mean, I'm sure we've got to take this seriously to really give more time and to give what the Americans often call prime time what they mean by prime time is not time when you're too tired to do anything else or you've got nothing very urgent you've got to do nothing, no other thing you particularly you know and I've got 30 minutes so I can just put, give that to prayer no but to sometimes give a priority write it in the diary in the time of day when you really are awake and really give that the priority and I feel that so many other things you know depend on this both in our individual lives as Christians and our prayer groups so that's the most in challenge, important challenge I wanted to put before you today and it is now 3.35 which is a bit difficult well now about our daily prayer our daily prayer alone with the Lord and all the elements I'm going to talk about are in fact now found in the Mass I think these elements need to be found in our daily life of prayer repentance offering listening asking and praise and I want to say a few words about each one repentance you remember the, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee and the Pharisee thanked God that he wasn't like other men, sinners and the tax collector just went and said Lord have mercy on me, a sinner well we are all tax collectors original sin goes very deep in each one of us the roots of the seven deadly sins are to be found in each one of us you know it's rather like the onion and as the years go by I find the how more and more true that is you know you know we're aware of the sort of the one layer of sin beneath and then we get that off and we rather hope it's the last one and then we find another and another and another and another and we shall have only have got to the bottom of the onion the center of the onion when we get to heaven original sin goes very deep 
And it's as we grow nearer the law that we become aware of certain sins which we didn't before. You know, if I died at 45, I hadn't a clue of a great deal of the sinfulness within me. I thought I was a pious, kind, prayerful, nice monk. God help me. I hadn't a clue of the things which were underneath. All the anger, the bitterness, the resentment. I hadn't a clue. Pride, spiritual pride, the whole lot. You know, it's, there's a lot of sin in us. You see, Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's, that's the standard we've got to measure ourselves by. And so, you know, we have got, we've got this sin within us. But you see, Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't come to save other people. There aren't any apart from his mother. And uh, I'll read from you 1 Timothy, oh no, yes, 1 Timothy 15. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. And I am the foremost of sinners, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience for an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. So, you know, one of the things we're all called to grow in daily to the end of our days is repentance. We're called to grow daily in things like faith, hope, love, humility, praise, repentance, and other things too. Not to go on moaning over and over again about the sins of the past which are forgiven, because that could be unhealthy. But, you know, to, be, to repent of the lack of faith and hope and love and humility today, that's what we need to be repenting of, the selfishness today, which wouldn't exclude repentance over past sins, of course. And an, I think an important thing there, of course, is confession and sharing. And I think, you know, many of the people are finding in the charismatic renewal, you know, how helpful it is to go more frequently again to confession. I mean, I think all of us need to be able, we all need to be able to share our sinfulness with at least one other person. You know, I thank God that there's no, no skeleton in my life, no area of my life, no shame in my life, which I haven't shared with at least one person. And that's a, you know, I'm sure that, that, that's, a, that's a blessing, and I'm sure that should be so for all of us. And, and I think a thing which can help us too in this matter is keeping a, a, a spiritual journal. You know, but anyhow, we'll leave that for the moment. Now we have to repent and we have to renounce. You see, if our repentance is authentic, that means we renounce. Repentance is turning away from the things which are not of God towards Jesus and God and the things of God. And that means renouncing. Now that doesn't mean I promise I never do this again. I, I always thought that was a very unfortunate act of contrition, you know, because we said, Lord, I will never do this again. Lord, I will never have another, another proud thought again. It's just not realistic, is it? But it is, I mean, as far as we can, we renounce and we want to turn away and we want to go in the direction of perfection and go as far as we can. And the thing which I think would help, a prayer which I'm sure will be helpful to many people, is the Jesus prayer there. You remember, it's the prayer connected with the, the Christian monks of the East, but which is now widely known in the West. And the classical form of that is the, to go on repeating these words, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It can be reduced, Jesus have mercy on me, a sinner. Indeed, one can just use the word Jesus or something like Jesus, Lord Jesus. 
But it is good to also to have getting that mercy on me a sinner often. And I find that very helpful and I need to say that often because I am a sinner. I think you know, to, to, to rarely perhaps, for those of you who don't know that prayer, try that prayer. Jesus Christ, have mercy on me a sinner. And particularly when you're feeling angry with everyone else and God and life and everything else, you know, it's a good thing to say that. It takes your, your, your criticism and your anger off other people and it, it helps you look at yourself. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a prayer of repentance, of course, it's also a prayer of asking. Just hands up, those, the number of people who are familiar with that prayer and find it helpful. It's quite a few, thank God. Well, those who haven't, you know, I would recommend that, perhaps to develop that. Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then there's the offering of ourselves to God. Offering of ourselves as others, the world, the church, friends, situation. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are called to give everything to God without exception. That includes our sins, our weaknesses, but also the gifts and blessings God's given us. Our health of spirit and mind and body, our death, and the suffering and sickness which may approach death. I think it's a very good thing to say daily, Lord, yes to that death you want for me, and to the run-up to death. I think it's a very good thing. You know, you see, naturally, we have a deep instinct of fear of death and of wanting to avoid death. It's all of us. And you know, many of us can have hidden fears of death. Fears about health can ultimately be a fear about death. It's natural to man that. And you know, we're called to be like Jesus. I mean, Jesus, his life wasn't taken from him. He laid down his life. It was a supreme offering to God. It was the supreme moment of his life, if you like. And our death isn't meant to be something which just overtakes us, but it's meant to be a sort of offering to God. Well, we never know when something is going to overtake us, do we? When we're going to get, when we're going to get knocked down by the car, or the stroke, or the heart attack, or the mugging. And it's too late then to try and start recollecting yourself. And now's the time to do that. So I think it is a good thing to say, yes, Lord, yes to that death. You know, Sean Connery, a wonderful priest from up in Newcastle, a priest in the charismatic renewal, it was he who put me on to this. He, just, he, he mentioned in one of his talks, and he said that helps to take away the fear of death. I think it's true if we're saying daily, yes, Lord, to that death. And if we're living a bit in that perspective, which is the perspective of the gospel, you know, where you know, we're moving towards heaven and we're looking forward to heaven, and death is the passing into that fuller life. I think you know, if we're daily saying that in our life of prayer, you know, that can be a sort of deep preparation for it and take away the fears. And then if we are suddenly hit by a car and taken off, well, it's a laying down of our lives. We said yes to it. That's another thing where, you know, the offering of ourselves to God. Then offering of our relationships, our affections, our sexuality, everything offered to God, given to God. Our money, our possessions. And you know, many of us, you know, we're quite prepared to give God a lot of things, but, but we're saying, not that God. Not that. Don't you touch that. Keep off the grass, the Lord. That's mine. But you see, if we, if we really mean the Our Father when we say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're really saying everything, Lord. Therefore we're saying, Lord, everything to do with my sexuality is yours. All my relationships, yours. 
everything to do with my money and possessions, yours. So how many of us really think, well, my bank account, that belongs to God? And my possessions, they belong to God. They're not mine, I'm just a steward. You know, we can all have problems, including monks. I've taken a vow of poverty there, and I'll tell you, I found myself in a bit of a struggle. Somebody gave me years ago a most wonderful copy of the, the Bible de Jerusalem in wonderful green leather and gold all over the place, and I loved it, and I, it, was a, it was a special memento of the person who gave it to me. It was a spiritual person who's died. And I used it, we used it in our chapel in Belgium when I lived in, in Belgium, but then I came back to this country. There it was in my shelves, and probably I referred to it once every 18 months. And I was in a Bible circle in our Cockfosters parish, and there was a woman who was French-speaking there, and she had also a copy of Bible of Jerusalem, that's the one she used. And it was falling to pieces, absolutely falling in two and three. And I thought, well, there's my beautiful copy in my room, and hers is falling to pieces. And I said, oh, no, 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 of course I need that, I have to remember the person who gave it me, and after all, that's quite reasonable, and so on and so on. And it took quite a time before I said, well, look, what about exchanging Bibles? So now I have her copy, which is all I need in occasions, rare occasions when I need to look up the French. But it didn't happen very quickly in my case. And I've taken a vow of poverty. Well, perhaps you're not as weak as I am. But you still are you know, if there are millions of starving people in Africa, we need to remember that our bank account is Jesus's. Now, if we give everything to Jesus, it doesn't automatically mean that we everything financially, we hand over all our finances to him, it doesn't automatically mean that we're going to be poorer. Jesus may want us to have more things. I'm sure many of us would be poorer. I'm sure many of us would get rid of luxuries we don't need. You know, stuff things in glasses and all that, whatever they are. But some of us, you know, if we hand it all over, Jesus may give us more money. But the point is, the point is not to have less, you may want some of us to have more, it's to give it all to him. To really make Jesus Lord of our material, material side of our lives. Then our time and energy. Oh, many of us can fall up there, can't we? Lord, don't touch that hobby. I'll tell you a true story of a, one of the prayer groups I'm involved with. Uh, there's a man who's a university lecturer and he plays chess and he plays chess for you know, that sort of university circles and when championship games, and when you're involved at chess at that level, it's apparently not... ...I'm involved with, uh, there's a man who's a university lecturer, and he plays chess, and he plays chess for, you know, that sort of university circles, and when championship games, and when you're involved at chess at that level, it's apparently not just a matter of sitting down once a week for half an hour. You know, you rarely mean studying books and rarely getting into it. And he found this was taking up too much time and energy, time and energy which could be more profitably given to his family and to the work of spreading the gospel and the renewal and praying for the sick. And so he gave it up. He gave it up. Now there's nothing wrong with chess. But what was wrong was the place it was occupying in his life, and he gave it up. And maybe we, when, you know, if we rarely offering everything to God, we're saying, Lord, yes, that television program, if you want it, that hobby, that expenditure of time. I think we need some recreation. I'm not saying we should never have recreation. 
But, you know, we have to offer everything to him. And then, of course, our problems, our impossibilities, our crises, the rat in the corner situations, all those, hand them over to Jesus. And all the blessings and gifts and opportunities, hand them over to Jesus. And not just ourselves, but our friends, our families, our prayer groups. You know, sometimes, perhaps we're not finding it to become too difficult to be a bit more detached about ourselves, but you know, our wife, our friend, our child, our prayer group. You know, and we've got to hand them over too. Thy will be done. And I have a dear friend at the moment who seems the Lord will probably take soon with cancer. And I've got to hand this person over and say, Lord, your will, your will. If you want to take him, take him. And it would seem that he do, God does want to take him. And we have to say that however close. And you're not, you know, to, it's all right to talk in abstract, but for a mother to do that over her, for her five-year child, you know, that requires spiritual heroism, so to speak, doesn't it? But that's what we're called to do. Do we really mean it when we say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do we really mean it? We are called to say that ever deeper yes. And now to the next section. Sorry, I hope you're not feeling envious again. <laughs> the privilege of the speaker. Listening to God. I think perhaps of the five areas of prayer which I mentioned, I think this is probably the most neglected. You know, the boy Samuel, we read in the first book of Samuel, the boy Samuel said, Speak for thy servant hears. You remember when there were these messages, God had been speaking, he thought it was Eli, and then he went back and said, Look, Speak for thy servant hears. And for most of us, nearly all our prayer is, Lord, listen, your servant speaks. And you see, prayer is meant to be a dialogue with God, and so often it's a, an endless monologue from ourselves, usually telling God what he's got to do, and poor God can't get in the word edgeways much of the time. And so you see, we really do need to, in our daily scheme of prayer, we need to put a lot of time aside just for listening to God, not telling him or asking him, listening to him. And we need, I think, to listen to God about two so in two sorts of things. One is to put it into his hands, certain questions we don't know the answer to. You know, we, where we need a, maybe a practical thing. Does God want me to undertake this journey or not? Does God want me to resign from this job or not? Does God want me to buy this or not? Does God want me to say to this lady, will you marry me or doesn't he? You know, these are things we put in God's hands. And so we should put these things in his hands. We should use our brains too. But I mean to say, you know, but often, often when you've considered both sides of the thing and everything else, it seems to be half a dozen of one and six of the others, doesn't it? But Put it in God's hands and ask God to show us what he wants, and then listen. That's one area. <coughs> but then we also have to listen to God about the questions he may want to speak to us about, which may be very different from our agenda. So we just, it isn't a matter of saying, God, this is my agenda, give me the answers. But God, what's your agenda? That may be far more important and much more embarrassing, mightn't it? You know, we have to listen to God on what he wants to speak to us about. And we need enough time for that. Now, I think a thing which can help us here is, is the, the reading of Scripture, the spiritual reading of Scripture. I'm not talking about 
the study of scripture, which is a good thing, but which should be done at other times. And I think in our daily time of prayer, there should be, you know, there must be some time for a sort of prayerful reading of scripture, letting God speak to us through scripture, speak to us through his word in scripture. And I think we find that, don't we? When we do that, we should always pray beforehand and God say, ask God to speak to us, to strengthen us, to build us up, to show us what he's got to show us. And then as we read, you know, something lights up, doesn't it? You know, you might be reading something, you come across a text about forgiveness and you think of so-and-so, boom. And that's God's word to you in that morning's reading of scripture. So it, uh, I think we need time for that. Scripture can be a great help for that and I think we should use scripture in that way normally daily. And God, you know, answers in various ways. He sometimes answers by illuminating our reason. We couldn't see it clear and then it just suddenly becomes clear. Sometimes he answers it by closing doors. Lord, it's a good thing to ask him, Lord, open the doors you want opening and close the others. When the door closes, well, that's an answer. And sometimes he answers people more directly. Some people get very extraordinary answers sometimes. But some, you know, some people just, just aware that God is gently saying, yes. For myself, you know, when I put things in God's hands, I often get a sort of, a, a sort of mental yes or no. Not always, but often I get a, a mental yes or no. It just becomes clear to me, yes. I go on praying and that yes seems to remain. Or I go on praying and that no seems to remain, or perhaps I get not yet. Or perhaps I'm praying about something and I just get the word peace. And I understand that I've got to be at peace about it, or someone else has got to be at peace about it. And I think we should learn to listen to the Lord in this way. <coughs> and we should ask for the gifts of wisdom, discernment and knowledge. We should ask for these gifts. Because if we're not, if we're not going to waste time chasing up blind alleys, you know, we need to be led by the Spirit. We learn to, need to learn to listen to the Lord. Also helping other people. Not just to try and work it all out with our brains. Use our brains, yes, because they're also God-given faculties. Thank God for the intelligence. But nevertheless, that, that often will only go so far. Learn to listen. If you're playing with a sick person, try to be listening to what God has got to say about what is the need. But there are people here who are certainly more gifted in that field than I am. But the, an important thing here, the need for testing guidance. You see, when we, we, something might come to us, we might think, it might be a vision, it might be a, a locution, it might just be a strong impression, might have come to us while we're reading the Bible. And these things can come from the Holy Spirit, or they can come from the human mind, or they could even come from the enemy. So we do need discernment there. And we need normally to test things where we can with others, get other suitable people to, to test it, to confirm it or deny it. You see, if I think that I'm getting a message that God's calling me to go and sort of, well, I'm a monk, so anyhow, if one of you gets a message that you think God is suddenly calling you to go and preach some, the gospel to the Eskimos, and you, you know, he appeared in the light, night and he seemed to say that to you, well, don't just go off and do it. But get some suitable other Christians and say, well, like, you know, God seemed to appear to me, he seemed to say that, what do you think of it? And get him to pray about it. And if it really is of God, he will confirm it with other suitable people. And if it, is, and, and if it isn't, it can be very helpful and important that they say, no, it's an illusion. And we can all suffer, we all do suffer at times from illusions. So everybody, even the most gifted person in discernment, 
Everyone needs the confirmation of others, and everyone needs to be put right by the confirmation of others at times, or the, at least the correction of others. So listening to God also involves learning to listening and sometimes obeying other people. Now we come to asking. We had this reading earlier from John's Gospel about asking, and then there's Ask, it will be given you, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened unto you. You know, some Christians, some Catholics, I'm sure they're wrong here. They think, well, you shouldn't really sort of ask the things very much in prayer. You should just say, thy will be done, that's the most perfect prayer. You get Christians who don't want to pray for healing, don't want to pray for material needs, don't want to pray for good... But just say, they, they take the line, just say, thy will be done, and if you've done that, you've said the only prayer necessary, and that's the perfect prayer finished. So they would object to our praying for healing, and object to our praying for other things. And you know, they're wrong. You see, every petition must be subject to thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. But that's not the only prayer Jesus taught us. Otherwise, the Our Father would go, Our Father would end, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Amen. It isn't Amen. Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus went on with all these other petitions. And that's a lesson for us. And he said, ask and it will be given you. So sometimes, while all our asking must be subject to thy will be done, nevertheless, he wants us to ask and he wants sometimes to, us to beat on the gates of heaven asking for things. And you find that in the lives of the saints. I mean, they really beat on the gates of heaven. And we should do that. And do that with faith. And sometimes, just saying thy will be done can be a cop-out. You see, it's much less tiring if you're visiting a sick person just to say, well, I will be down on earth as it is in heaven, finished, than to start praying for them, isn't it? And perhaps fasting can be a cop-out. What are the things we should be praying for? Well, we should pray for our spiritual needs, our material needs. <coughs> we should pray for ourselves and for others. Should we pray for parking meters? Yes. Should we pray for our health? Yes. Should we pray for the weather? Yes. I was praying in Batuk today that some rain might fall on Africa where they apparently need it. Should we pray for driving tests and jobs? Yes. You know, if it is legitimate to desire something, it's right to pray for it. If it's right to desire something, it's right to pray for it. If what you're desiring, if, if, if you can't pray for something, you shouldn't be desiring it. You know, if I was only going to try not to do a robbery in London this afternoon, well, that's not something I could pray about, and therefore not something I should be doing. But having said that, it is important to get our priorities right. I mean, it's more important to pray for spiritual things than for material things. And it's, it's also important that we don't just pray for ourselves. You know, somebody's always praying for their own parking meters, and their own bank account, and their own health and their own family, but never praying at all for the starving people in Africa and for the conversion of the world and for peace in the world, there's something wrong. Yes, we're right to pray for these things, but let's get our priorities in prayer right and not just have a selfish asking. But having said that, we're right to pray for these material things. Jesus taught us to do so. Don't try to be more spiritual than Jesus was. Some Christians do. Oh, no, no, we shouldn't pray for healing, that's a material thing. Let's pray for spiritual things. That's what Christianity is about. Jesus loved bodies. He healed bodies. He provided people with food. Don't try to be more spiritual than Jesus. It doesn't work. It's bogus. 
Then there's the call to pray with faith. And you remember there are those texts in the Bible about mountain-moving faith. If you've got the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you say to this mountain, move into the sea, and it will be moved. Jesus replied to when, what, when the disciples asked him why the epileptic boy wasn't healed. Now, there are these, there's that text and others which are sort of embarrassing for most Christians. And you know, because they correspond to nothing in their experience, and they quickly turn over to something which seems more normal. And yet, and yet, I am continually meeting, and so are you, a number of Christians who are regularly seeing mountains moved in answer to prayer. Mountains of sin, mountains of sickness, mountains of spiritual need, mountains of division in families. A certain number of Christians are regularly seeing mountains moved in answer to prayer, and many Christians are never seeing mountains moved in answer to prayer. And I think there's something wrong if we never see mountains moved in answer to prayer. And I think then we need to repent of our lack of faith and ask for the gift of greater faith. I've never met anybody who didn't at times need to repent of their lack of faith. And Jesus said, ask, ask for the gift of greater faith. Now, I don't suggest that every mountain we first hope to see moved will be moved, no. You know, sometimes we should pray for healing and the person dies. Sometimes we should pray for right, a marriage to be saved and it isn't saved. But you know, what worries me is when people are never seeing any mountains move, not everyone. And in any case, every authentic prayer is answered in one way or another. Every authentic prayer makes a difference, even if it's not answered in the way we first hoped. And we shall only sometimes see the answer to our prayers when we get to heaven through his mercy. And I'm sure that when we get to heaven, we shall find that in many occasions where we thought we'd, you know, we'd succeeded best, in fact, we've done nothing. And sometimes where we thought our prayers were a total failure, we shall see that they worked wonders. You know, we can't judge often in this world. So there is that call. And there's a need for fasting, perhaps. There's not time to develop that. I'm one of the weaker brethren myself when it comes to fasting. But as far as I do fast, I find it a good thing. I'm sure we should, you know, sometimes when, I, th I think some degree of fasting should be normal to the life of every one of us. And there can be need for perseverance. You know, Jesus said, ask will be given you. He said, didn't say he'll be given you immediately. St. Augustine's mother, St. Monica, was praying for his conversion. And the Lord answered her prayer more wonderfully than she could have imagined. But she answered it after about 17 years or whatever it was. And if she'd given up after 10 years and said it's a hopeless case, it's too soon. And I know a woman whose health is, whose, ear, whose hearing is improving in answer to prayer now against all medical possibilities. And it began to improve after 10 years praying. So if she'd given up after nine, saying, well, we prayed for nine years and that's a waste of time, it was too soon. And there's some things one just has to go on praying for. I mean, there'll be people here perhaps who've got children who no longer believing and practicing. You just have to go on praying about it to the last day of your life if, it's, if, if the answer doesn't come before. Some things we just have to go on praying about. And I think a thing which is important here, I think God is wanting to raise up more and more special ministries of prayer, of intercession. You know, I'm sure some people, God is wanting to give a special burden in that way. Often older people or sick people. People who've got the time. But I mean, there can be many people who could well spend four hours a day in prayer. 
Father Peter used to tell of, his, of a prayer group he, had, he was at in America, and there was one woman who used to intercede every day between 12 and 3 in the morning for the intentions of that prayer group. I'm sure God is calling a lot of people to special ministries of prayer, particularly older people. And you know, well, unless the Lord takes us earlier, we shall all become old one day. And that can be a wonderful thing in old age. So often when people get older, they think, oh well, my life is now becoming less and less fruitful, as, you know, doors are closing, I'm just a nuisance on the others, and so on. And if we realize that God, as he closes one door, opens another, and that door will very often be the ministry of intercession, and our lives can be wonderfully fruitful to the last second through, through a ministry of intercession. So there's something. And now we do come to the last heading. Oh dear. I'll be as brief as I can, shall I? Oh dear, it's a pity it has to be brief on praise, isn't it? But Jesus praised, he said, the Psalms which are largely praise, and he thanked his heavenly Father. And when he taught us to pray, the Our Father, it starts with praise, hallowed be thy name. And if I said, you know, listening to God is probably the most neglected area of prayer, I think praise is the second most neglected. So many Christians, insofar as they pray, it's all asking, or best thing thy will be done. Praise never really began to flow in my life as a monk until I received the gift of tongues about 11 years ago. And that's a disgraceful thing to say because a monk's life is meant to be a life of praise. But it never flowed. I used to say the Psalms, I'd say the Glorias and all that. But you know, the prayer which flowed was asking and saying, I will be done. And it wasn't until I got the gift of tongues that praise flowed. And when Jesus gave us the Eucharist. Well, the word Eucharist means thanksgiving, and I'm using praise in the wide sense, you know, praise, worship, thanksgiving, adoration, loving God. They're all part of the first commandment, and that's why it's important. And you see, so often Christians neglect the first commandment. So often the whole concentration is sort of helping others. And so often Christians really fail to understand what is meant by the, what is being asked of them in the first commandment. I really hadn't a clue what God was asking me in the way of praise, in the way of the first commandment, till I got the gift of tongues. And he said, I had very little clue. And I, if you'd asked me, if you said, well, what do you think about the first commandment? Any problems? I would say, no problems with the first commandment. What did I mean? I meant I had no intellectual problems. I meant that I admitted it was the first commandment, I put it in the right pedestal, I incensed it, but what did my life corresponded to it? Very little. And you see, something much more than just saying the Psalms in the liturgy and politely saying, Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. You know, and I want to give an analogy which I think may help you. You see, we're called to love the Lord our God, to praise the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, strength, soul, everything. What does that mean? Think of a woman who believes in prayer, whose only child is in danger of dying. And she says, Lord, save my child. Now, her whole being goes into that prayer. Strength, soul, mind, heart, emotions, everything, doesn't it? And she doesn't just pray it for three minutes. That is how you and I are commanded to love to praise God. Now, when did you last praise him with all your being, all your strength, just like that woman, every fiber of your being? Because that's what you're commanded to do. And I hadn't a clue until I came to the charismatic renewal. 
And you see, I think it's our failure at this level which explains so often why we Christians don't experience the blessings God wants to give us. You know, Jesus promised peace, joy, healing, love, community. He promised all these beautiful things, and we don't see all that much of these in the Christian world, do we? We see something, thank God, but when you see the average congregation coming out of Mass on Sunday morning, you know how much peace and joy, and even in our prayer meetings. And I think it's largely because we neglect the first commandment of praise, of love, of pray God praise. If we neglect the first commandment, is it surprising that we don't experience much of the blessings Jesus promised? And you know, as we give ourselves to the first commandment and praise, and as we rarely give ourselves, you know, as our praises go up, his blessings are showered down. You know, God is never outdone in generosity. As our blessings go up, his praises, his, as our praises go up, his blessings come down. And you know, where there's intense praise, there have often been healings and miracles without anybody asking for it. That used to happen in Colin Urquhart's church in Luton years ago. And then their Sunday evening service, they'd just be praising God and, you know, knees would be healed and depressions would be healed and without anybody asking for it because there was so much praise. And Ian Andrews is giving beautiful teaching on praise, what he calls high praise. And he talks about, he tells us a case of a woman who was um, a person, I don't know what, what sex, who was dying in a hospital bed and they got, some of them went, got permission to go around, they, they followed his advice, He's, they said, what should we do? He said, go and praise around the bed for two hours. So for two hours they went and praised around the bed and the miracle happened. But when did we last praise for 30 minutes, let alone two hours? When did we, you know, I find it helpful, particularly when things are getting on top of me. I, you know, all these things not done and letters not answered, this problem and that problem and problem of myself and everything else. And I go for a walk just to praise, I praise God for about an hour, an hour and a half, and I just throw up the problems like balls. Lord, there's that, boom, over to you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus, you're in control. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for that person. Thank you, you love even me a sinner. Praise, I just throw them up. And I come back feeling quite different. And the Lord looks after things. You know, our intercession, I'm sure our intercession needs to be shot through with praise. Shot through with praise. And uh, so we really need to get used to praise. And uh, this is my last quotation from the book of Revelation. And this is an important one. It's from Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all therein saying, To him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. See, that's what heaven's going to be like. So you're going, that's what you're going to have to do up there, so you better start getting used to it down here. You know, nothing in our earthly life is more like the life of heaven than when we praise God. So let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. And you know, we were beautifully led in the music today with praise. We really need music. It really leads us in praise to God. Praising because that, that is... That is the way, that is the way of, of life in heaven. And the last remark I'll say is this, 
There was a great Benedictine abbot called Abbot Chapman who was well known as a spiritual director and he said, pray as you can and not as you can't. Well, you know, I've just thrown out some things which may be hints. And anything which is helpful, we'll use it. And anything which is not helpful, forget it. Because in the end, you see, it's no good to say something, now you must pray like this, you must pray like that, you must do this, that and the other. And that can be very discouraging because, you know, in the end we can only pray as the Spirit leads us. And as he leads us today, not as he's going to lead us next week. So, pray as you can, and not as you can't. Amen. Thank you.